0: But you can hear adventure are calling, there's a rise of adrenaline to your bones what you make of this moment. I sure. Beyond the end and the beginning You have been From shame. I
1: Good morning, new life. Happy Easter. We're so sad and happy that we get to join you this morning this way, but we know that this is the time that we get to celebrate Jesus, the risen King. And even if you're doing it at home in your sweatpants, guess what? It doesn't matter. We can do it the same as if we were in this building together right now. Mark chapter 16, verse 6 says, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I know that you are here looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here, for he has risen victoriously. He has risen victoriously. We serve a risen king. So this morning, even at home with your families, gather them around. Let's worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Happy Easter.
0: Boa. E
2: the New Life Christian Church and World Outreach. Glad you came to join us this morning. Praise the Lord. Happy
3: Easter. Yes,
2: Resurrection Sunday. Yes.
3: And I have to say, happy 41st Rebirth Day to Pastor John B. Lowe.
2: Oh, Debbie loves celebrating that. Yes.
3: (laughs) Easter is my absolute favorite um, day of the year because it was 41 years ago on Easter that we went from one signature away from divorce and everything looking like it was falling apart to dedicating and committing our lives to Jesus Christ and making Jesus Lord. And so here we are 41 years later. So I'll tell you what, on the darkest day, when it seems like all hell is breaking loose, when you put your eyes on Jesus and you put your trust in him, All things are possible. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. I was
3: just thinking, you know, it's 2020. And I just want to say that it's my prayer for everyone who's listening today. That in this year, 2020, I don't think we're ever going to forget this Easter. That we see Jesus more clearly than we ever have before. And that we see who we are in him.
2: Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Praise God, so, you know, if you got your Bibles, break them out there and lean into this service, participate. Thank you, Pastor Debbie, for coming up and joining us, for getting ready to receive the offering this morning. And, uh, you know, if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20, and Pastor Debbie and I, you know, prepared our offering as normal. And then, I also want to address the fact, because I caught some slack by several people in the church about bumping 90% Sunday to the third uh, Sunday in October, And uh, that's the church's anniversary. When we started the church, it was the third Sunday in October, so the third Sunday of October this year, 2020, will be uh, our 90% Sunday. And, you know, so I was asked by some people why I did that, and if you want to text give, you can uh, type in 84321, and uh, you can also give online right there on the church's website. You can mail it in. A lot of people have done that, melded it in. Other people have walked it in. We just encourage you, praise God, to be consistent in your giving and uh, go on with 90% Sunday. I was asked why I did that. I didn't want the church, I didn't want us to be insensitive uh, to where maybe you or some other people were financially during this time of uh, what's going on with the coronavirus and, and that kind of thing. We wanted to make sure that we were sensitive to that and that, uh, you know, we didn't, because everybody doesn't prepare for being off work for five or six weeks. And uh, we're believing by the end of this month, praise God. We're just going to push for the end of this month. After that, there just may be a rebellion across America, I believe, to go on and have church. Anyway, praise God. And it's not that, you know, we... uh, You know, one of the great things I heard somebody say, Well, you know, this is the way the disciples were doing uh, Easter... Uh, Easter morning, they were all housed in their different houses, that kind of stuff. They were all by themselves. And that's not exactly true. They weren't quarantined by any means. They were all huddled up together in fear uh, of the Romans coming in and crucifying them. So they were hiding out. There's a difference between what they're doing and what we're doing at this particular time. And Thomas wasn't with them. You read John chapter 20, Thomas wasn't with them. And they, after he saw the Lord... And he, you know, and, and Thomas had already made the statement to his other friends, you know, they're the disciples. I won't believe unless I put my hand, my finger in his hand and my hand in his side. And Jesus said, you know, don't be unbelieving, but put your finger in the hole in my hand and your hand in my side. And uh, Jesus, uh, you know, looked at Thomas and said, you know, be a believer. Because he had said, it's the only place in the whole Bible, I will not believe in John chapter 20, I will not believe, and you know, there's just something about that every time you read it, it grates you, and uh, it's true when you're a believer, you want to believe, and you want to attach your faith to things, and that's true on 90% Sunday. so go ahead and prepare, Pastor Debbie and I, we're giving what we prepared for 90% Sunday, other people have done that as well, uh, you know, but the bottom line is, well, whoever you are, and wherever you are, be prepared to always pay your tithe, which is 10%, and uh, be prepared to give offerings over and above, like on Mission Sunday and those kind of things as well. If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. This is the story that's leading up to, uh, you know, the, it's, it's everything that's going to go on. The Passover meal, uh, the triumphant entry, you know, the crucifixion, the resurrection and six days before the Passover Jesus came to Bethany where uh, Lazarus was and he w- who had been dead whom when he had been whom he raised from the dead I mean he's specifying exactly who this is this is his friend Lazarus he's in Bethany it's six days before the Passover verse 2 says then they, uh, there they made him a uh, supper and Martha served uh, but the Lazarus was one of them who sat at the table with him then Mary took a a pound of very costly oil, "'of Spikard anointed the feet of Jesus, "'and wiped his feet with her hair, "'and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil.' Verse 4 says but one of his disciples Judas Iscariot uh, Simon's son who uh, would betray him said why was this fragrant oil not used for 300 denarii and uh, or not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor then he said uh, not that he says not not for the poor but, but because he uh, was a thief and and the money you know, box. He was in charge of the money box. He watched over the money. He took care of everything, and he used it uh, to take uh, what, what was there. And Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial, uh, for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. And in verse 9, let's just go on and read this, because I just want to get down to this statement that is so... Astounding, I think. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. That news had gotten out quite a bit. Notice this statement here in verse 10. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Imagine being so hard-hearted, that you hated this guy Lazarus so much that not only did you want to kill Jesus, but you were going to kill this guy who had been raised from the dead because he, his resurrection, you know, being raised from the dead, had drawn people to Jesus and caused people to believe in Jesus. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about this because it always amazes me about who complains about the tithe, usually people who don't pay their tithe, who complains about helping the poor, usually people who don't pay their tithe. You know, it's usually people who aren't supporting the Supportive of the church, they gripe about the church not doing anything, not helping people. And then when the church steps up, steps out, and does something, well, we get complaints about that as well. So sometimes you don't think you can uh, win no matter what you do, but the reality is this. Uh, We win because we're following the example of Jesus. We win because we're following the Word of God. We win because we love God and we love people. And that's why we pay our tithe and that's why we give our offerings. That's why we do 90% Sunday. You know, one of the things that happened coming up during the week of the 90% Sunday, we last weekend built the wall and it's down at JB Furniture and we'll be taking it down uh, early this coming week. And uh, a lot of people put prayers on there. A couple of times, it's rained really hard and washed it clean, which reminds us His mercies are new every morning. And uh, so, you know, people got to write new prayers on the wall, and they didn't have to write over top the prayers that were previously written on the wall. And uh, But the reason that wall went up so fast so quickly is because one of the people who helped put it up had decided, you know, well, Pastor had bumped back 90% Sunday, so he was going to take... One what He prepared for 90% Sunday and spend it and buy the materials and help put up that wall, praise God. And, uh, you know, and now he's still planning on the third Sunday of October to prepare and to plan and uh, get ready to give his 90% on the third Sunday in October even though he already had it even though he already spent it to help buy the materials to put up the prayer wall and you know what that just says to me that's the way new lifers are praise God we live to give and give to live we understand how this stuff works and we do things because we love God and we love people and so we just want to encourage you praise the Lord as we get ready to receive the offering you know Jesus gave 100% and, uh, and because of that, we love him. He accepted 100% of all the responsibility of all the sin of the world. And he paid the ultimate price. And whether you're at home or whether you're at church this morning, we do have quite a few people who chose to join us this morning. And we're excited about that as well. And if you do come, you always got to bring food because we want to help support our local food pantry, CCS and Salvation Army. And uh, we do that financially and we do that in any and every other way we possibly can because they do such a fantastic job of helping the people in our community in our area. Will you believe God with me? And let's believe God as we get ready to sow our seed. Father, just like Mary here, who took this costly oil and she uh, washed Jesus' feet and ministered to him. And Lord, it was to help prepare him for his burial and ultimately the resurrection. Many times God... We misplace the things that we've saved for. We misplace the thing that we were saved for. We were saved to minister to Jesus... And his body. We were saved to take Jesus to the world that cost the blood of Jesus. And God, we thank you that during this time we all refocus, reshift, remind ourselves, and refresh on Easter here exactly what Jesus Christ was born for, lived for, died for, was raised from the dead, and he's coming again. Praise God. We count this offering blessed. We count ourselves blessed. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we release our faith to walk in the blessings and the abundance of God so we can be a blessing and we can take those that abundance and we can share with the world the cost of blood of Jesus. Don't forget to hit that tab and give. God bless you. Have a great day.
4: Welcome to Life. Thanks for being online with us today. Here are some announcements so you know what's happening here at your church. Because of all the changes with our church environment and social distancing, we're having to postpone a couple of events. Number one being that we're having to postpone our baptism. It's now moved to June 21st during our Sunday service. The second thing we're postponing is 90% Sunday. Traditionally, we have 90% Sunday on Easter, but this year, because of all the changes, we're moving it to our church's anniversary, which is the third Sunday in October. You can register for the baptism at IHaveNewLife.com and be mindful and prepared for 90% Sunday coming this church anniversary.
3: Hi ladies, I just want to invite you to Beautiful Day, we're still going to get together only online. On May 2nd, Saturday morning at 9 a.m., join us with all of our special guests Nancy Alcorn, Sula Skiles, Carrie Oles, and Laura Cook as we come together and we become all that God wants us to be. Don't forget, Saturday, May 2nd, 9 a.m. Come and join us for Beautiful Day.
4: Due to all the changes with our current church environment, we have a special page on our website that's devoted to this time of distancing. It includes a video archive of past services and live streams, not only from our main services, but also for children's church and youth. It also has a section for prayer requests, resources, and church hours. We also want to keep you up to date on giving. You can text to give by texting the number 84321. You can give online through the website or you can give through the Church Center app. Follow New Life on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube and also download the Church Center app to keep up to date with the latest news about your church. Thanks for being online with us today and welcome home.
2: Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. Thank you again for coming and joining us on Easter Sunday. Praise God to help us celebrate the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. Got your Bibles, turned to Romans chapter 10. And then you want to make sure that you turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to spend a lot of time in the Gospel of John this morning. And we're going to be talking about the Lamb. And of course, you see the elements here for communion. Many of you drove through yesterday, picked up your elements for communion. Also, you picked up your eggs so you could take them home and have an Easter egg hunt uh, for your children, whether it was in the house or out in the yard or whatever that was. We were happy to be able to provide that for you so that you could celebrate with your kids and still have some fun at the house. And also remember after church today, the... uh, On the website there, there's this Minecraft game of a virtual egg hunt, and you can do that if you're into those kind of things, praise the Lord, and that'll be fun. Uh, A lot of kids will enjoy uh, hunting eggs on on that particular game, and I want you to go to John chapter or Romans chapter 10, and while we're there, I just want to talk a little bit, because I was contemplating several things, as all of us have been, about what church must have looked like the first century. Because, you know, lots of times people say, well, you know, they didn't have temples, they didn't have churches, and and those kind of things. Well, the apostles talk about how they taught house to house, and also publicly. And anytime we gather together, we're teaching publicly. But yet, at the same time, in the first century, it was different. They didn't have a structured building that said, you know, the first church of Jesus Christ, or new life found here, or resurrection, or forgiven church, or whatever the church, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Catholic, whatever it was. There was none of those around at the time, and, uh, and they did meet a lot in houses, and they did break bread a lot together, and we're going to break bread as well. Uh, they had no blood sacrifice system because uh, the one that they followed was sacrifice once and for everybody, and if you were a major religion, if you were a, a popular pagan cult, then there was always a blood sacrifice involved in the worship of whatever it was that you did worship. As a result of that, you know, I mean, even though you go all the way down to South America and the Mayans had sacrifices and they had no touch and no input from Judaism or from other religions, you know, from that far east, uh, that was just something that came up as a reality, that blood makes a difference. And consequently, there's in Christianity, uh, you know, we don't sacrifice anymore after the resurrection of Jesus because. He was the sacrifice once and for all, praise God. And so that must have looked different to all the major religions, even Judaism, because the sacrificial system continued to uh, 70 A.D. And then Rome came in, destroyed the temple, and then the sacrifices stopped uh, in Jerusalem. And as a result of that, you know, uh, Judaism kind of was put on hold. But yet at the same time, when the birth of Christianity, it had to look totally different. They didn't have a... Priesthood. They didn't have professional priests. They were they were taught things like this. All of us are priests. All of us are priests. All of us are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to show forth His praises. Praise God! All of us get to minister to the Jesus. All of us get to minister to the body. Praise God! What a difference in faith and religion than just having a bunch of professional people who did everything. And that's some of the, I think, a handicap to the body of Christ today. Is we're still looking to the professional pastor or preacher to do a lot of the Christian work for us. And you have to live out your own faith, praise God. And so you're a priest. And men, I just want to challenge you in particular at home. If you're at home, then you're the priest, you're the leader of that home. You set the pace. Get your Bible out during this time of being, you know, quarantined and do devotions and, and and you know, do your best to pray and, and lead your family in the things of God. And, uh, you know, make sure that, you know, while you're streaming today or however you're watching this on whatever device, get everybody sat down, get everybody's Bibles out. Let's pay attention. Let's take some notes and let's lean into Jesus Christ. Amen. So all these these things were going on, and and all of a sudden, this thing just took off. Thousands of people began to believe on Jesus after his resurrection, and it it happened because of uh, people paying attention, and and see, this wasn't something that happened in a far-off land like we live in the United States of America now. The... the testimony took place right where he was crucified the resurrection took place right where he was crucified everybody knew what had happened and what was going on so it wasn't like way over here you know they went and said well this happened and let me tell you about it they knew what happened they knew what the priests had done they knew the soldiers were placed outside uh, the tomb they knew the rock had rolled away they knew there was nobody they knew that the road Romans and the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing everything they could to destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, but they couldn't stop it, and they never will be able to stop it because you can't stop the Lord Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. So I just want to go to Romans chapter 10, pick it up at verse 8, because, you know, I want to talk for a moment very briefly about it is finished because we know that was the last thing that Jesus said, it's finished, and he dropped his head, and he died. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but we know that he had to be raised from the dead. We know that he uh, paid the price on the cross, and I want to just end with the fact of why did Jesus say it is finished, but it wasn't for our salvation or our our complete deliverance, because if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we still have nothing. There were Tens of thousands of people who were crucified on crosses. Actually, one time when Rome had uh, had a battle with a particular city, and the people had refused and you know bowed down the Roman Empire oppression, uh, after they took the city and defeated that city, they crucified people. For for instance, the distance would be from here to Indianapolis. Is about the same distance. And they lined them up on both sides of the road, all the way from here to Indianapolis, if you were to get and walk. Imagine being on that road, walking or driving a cart. And that many people on both sides of the road being crucified. So, the crucifixion was a very common thing in the Roman Empire uh, kingdom. But the resurrection was brand new, praise God. And that's what separates Christianity from anything and everything else. Romans 10 verse 8 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... <laughs> and and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Not that he was just crucified. Not that he was just beaten. Not that he was laid in the tomb. But that he was raised from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto uh, righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says. Whoever believes in him will not be ashamed, praise God. So I'm going to stop with that. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4, verse 25. And don't forget, if you're at home, you know, I know you're probably enjoying a cup of coffee or maybe something else, but don't forget to get your Bible. Don't forget to take notes. And don't forget to participate, praise God. And I'm so blessed by those who decide to show up this morning. gives me somebody to look at somebody to preach to a little bit here, there, and a little bit of scattered everywhere. So... And they're practicing social, physical distancing. I don't like the social distancing. They like the physical. We physically distance. Socially, we're still connected, praise God. Socially, we're family. Socially, we're together, praise God. And we're doing that by the Spirit and by faith. Romans 4, verse 25 says this, Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised... Uh, For our justification praise God You see the way we got justified Was by the resurrection Chapter 5 verse 1 says Therefore since he you know Was uh, crucified and delivered For our offenses and was raised because Of our justification Therefore having been justified by faith We have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ Praise the Lord We have access by our faith Our faith gives us access Right into the peace of God Right into the presence of God and right into everything that God has for us. So, go to John chapter 2, and I'm going to just refer to several things here. I don't want you to turn to Exodus chapter 12, but you want to take a note on that, particularly if you're home. Exodus chapter 12 is where we talk about the Passover. The Passover is when the children of Israel were preparing to leave Egypt, and uh, they had already had the nine plagues, and the 10th plague was about to occur, and that was the death of the firstborn of every... Body in the end of household of Egypt, or whether it was in Israel, and every animal, all the livestock, if you were the firstborn, uh, you were a, uh, in line to die unless there was blood applied to the lintel of the doorpost. By faith, praise God. And not only that, I want to mention here, if you look at Exodus chapter 12, I think it's verse 22, it says, And do it with a bunch of hyssop. hyssop. Do it with a bunch of hyssop. You dip the hyssop into the uh, pan of blood, and you took that hyssop, and you put it over the top of the doorpost and on the lentils there, praise God, and you literally, by faith, by applying the blood, the angel of death had to pass over, praise God. And when they there was an exact uh, instructions on how to do the Passover meal, you had to take and... Uh, prepare it in such a certain way, and there's a lot of tradition with that. Uh, some of it's in the Bible, some of it's not in the Bible. You know, like some of the things that are not in the Bible in Exodus chapter 12, there is where uh, some of the early fathers have, uh, you know, went to Israel, went to Jerusalem, and, and they heard from some of the Pharisees and Sadducees that they actually put a uh, wooden piece, a wooden stake, all the way through the lamb, and uh, from bottom to top. And then they put another one across its legs, making a cross. Now, I don't think the Bible would exempt that. That's why I don't give it a whole lot of credence because the Bible doesn't mention it. But it is part of the tradition of some of the early fathers that they actually taught that. So I'm just throwing it out there that we do know that the Passover lamb pointed to Jesus Christ. That it was a prophetic proclamation to remember what God has done to bring you out of Egypt and he said don't you forget this this is going to be done annually uh, right on through for everything for the nation of Israel and then for you and I it pointed us a prophetic uh, proclamation to remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross as the Lamb of God But so I just want to talk a little bit about what was going on there uh, in Exodus chapter 12 because when we study that, it just points and tells us that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Now, the word lamb is an interesting word in the Bible. And, uh, you know, in the book of Revelations, the word lamb appears uh, 28 times or so. And uh, I kind of got a kick out of it this week as I was going through there and reading it. And there's one time in particular where it says that people were fleeing from the wrath of the Lamb. And, you know, I don't see a lot of people in the natural fleeing from lambs. That's not a word picture that usually goes together. I can see them fleeing from the line of Judah. I can see them from fleeing from a lot of things, but usually not a lamb. That's kind of like saying, they all fled from the wrath of the turtle. They all fled from the wrath of the bunny. I mean, there's just some word picture that's just doesn't, is not adequate when you think about they, they're fleeing from the wrath of the Lamb. But, you know, this Lamb isn't always going to be the, the one that died for our sins. It's the same Lamb that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, praise God. And so we need to understand that. So real quick here, there's three times in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all testify to the fact that what we're seeing this week since the days of Jesus, and it was mentioned to me several times this week, and, and uh, of course, you know, it's, it's true. Since the days of Jesus, this is the first time that Passover and, you know, Easter has all arrived at the same time, the same scenario as in the days of Jesus itself. And in the Gospel of John, he talks about three different Passovers. John is the only one that ever mentions the word Lamb. Matthew doesn't mention Lamb, Mark doesn't mention the word Lamb, Luke doesn't mention the word Lamb, only John mentions the word Lamb, and that's why, you know, uh, the other synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the reason they're called synoptic gospels, the word synoptic means they see the same thing together, and uh, so they're very similar, and John kind of deviates from some things, and they all have some things that the other ones don't, but John was exceptional in several things, and for several different reasons, And in John, the second chapter, we have the first Passover. This is where Jesus did the uh, money changers, uh, you know, run their business, walked in, you know, tossed over the table, said, My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And then about a year later, Luke tells us he did the same thing again. That's when he made the cat of nine tails and uh, did the same thing again. Then John, chapter 6, we have the discourse of the bread of life. And that's a very powerful. You ought to take some time, maybe today or this week sometime, and just read John, the 6th chapter. It's very powerful. That's where he fed the 5,000. That's where he talks about being, I am the bread of life. That's where he uh, actually talks. Matter of fact, go to John, chapter 6, and we'll look very briefly at uh, a couple of the statements that Jesus made in John, chapter 6. And the reason I'm trying to uh, not take too much time in reading everything that I'm referring to is because... Just like when you're in church, I'm trying to be respectful of the time and keep you online so you stay connected. But you need to go ahead and get your Bible out, take some notes. This is Easter, folks, and this is worth taking the time to consider and to meditate on since this is the first time since the days of Jesus that Passover and Easter, as we know it, uh, are all occurring at the same time. And uh, so, you know, uh, and really... Passover occurred then. Jesus came in the town. We saw there where, you know, it was just a few days before Passover in John chapter 12, six days. Jesus came to Bethany. Then he eventually went to Jerusalem. And while he was at Jerusalem, you know, he had the triumphant entry. And, and then they he said, go find the donkey. And, and they did that. And then, you know, he, well, he found the house that they rented, an upper room. And they had a... Uh, Passover meal, and it's really interesting because people criticize the Passover meal at that time because there's never a mention of the lamb. They don't ever mention the lamb when Jesus is having the Passover, and listen, when you're talking about this holiday, and you're a Jewish person, and you're celebrating Passover, there are some things that you're going to do that you cannot be left out. Having the lamb would be part of it. And the reason that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and none of them mentioned the Lamb being there at the Passover meal is because the Lamb, Jesus, was there. And having a type didn't make any, I mean, that was small compared to having the real Lamb of God in your presence at the time. And so, Jesus is talking to them, and in John chapter 6, he's, he's getting, you know, uh, talking and trying to drop some things to help prepare them. Let's look at verse uh, 53, just for something to start with. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, you've got to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Jewish people. They didn't eat flesh. They didn't drink blood. And Jesus is making a statement here that almost in any culture, except for, you know, in pagan things, they did things like that. But in Judaism, they did not. And in Christianity, we do not. And uh, so here he says, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me lives because of me. Now, just think about what he's saying and try to put yourself in the sandals or in the mind frame of the Jewish people that he's talking to, and they're hearing him talk about eating flesh and drinking blood, and they don't do this. And, and they, this is why they get offended. This is why they leave him. It says in verse uh, 58, this is, a, this, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate, the manna, and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when he heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that the disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? And it says in the next verse, uh, in verse uh, 62, what then if you uh, should see the Son of Man ascend uh, where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And from down go to verse uh, 66. We're in chapter 6, verse 66. So we're looking at 666. It says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They decided after he did that teaching about partaking of his flesh and drinking his blood, they would not follow him anymore. That was too hard of a saying for them to understand and for them to comprehend and for them to deal with and wrap their brain around. They couldn't understand that his words were spirit, that his words were life. They couldn't understand. He wasn't, he wasn't talking about his physical body. He was talking about, you know, how he was going to lay his body down and how his blood was going to be offered as a sin sacrifice Sacrifice, and as a result of that, praise God, they would be completely delivered and set free. And when we receive communion, we remember that by his body, by his sacrifice, by the shedding of his blood, the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. They remember what Jesus Christ has done. So in John chapter 6 is the second Passover in this particular area here uh, when he's feeding the 5,000 then he talks about communion and he talks about the Passover meal A little later, and in John chapter 11, chapters 13, starting in John chapter 11 all the way to chapters 13, we have the third Passover that John talks about. And that's where all four gospels talk about what we call the Last Supper, which was a Passover meal. But, you know, John talks about all three of these. Passovers. John chapter 2 John chapter 6 John chapter 11 to chapter 13 he covers all three of them because he's trying to make a connection with believers to understand that Jesus is the Passover Lamb that Jesus is the Savior of the world that Jesus came forth through the tribe of Judah praise God and he became that one where uh, Abraham said to Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 verse 8 when Isaac said father where's the lamb. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham looked at him and he says, God will provide for himself. And Jehovah Jireh, praise the Lord, the Lord our provider. God will provide. And God provided his only begotten son. And God provided his only begotten son who took on the form of a servant and laid his life down. Nobody took his life. He laid it down. Now, if you go to John chapter 1, I just want to cover a little bit about this a little bit. Talk about the lamb some. And uh, this is where John the Baptist is baptizing. There's a crowd of people out there. We know there were all kinds of people there because in John chapter 1, verse 19 and 24, it talks about how the Pharisees had sent people in to infiltrate the crowd of John's disciples and people who were listening to John the Baptist preach. In verse 24 they ask him questions about well who are you and who sent you and by what authority do you do these things and uh, so we know they were there we know that they were trying to discern and decide whether he was a good guy or a bad guy whether they were for him or against him because he was drawing such crowds he was taken away from their popularity he was taken away from them and consequently they were looking at wiping him out as well and so John standing there in John chapter 1 verse 29, let's take a look at this very quickly, he says in verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you got to remember who's in this crowd you got Sadducees Pharisees you got Levitical priests you got Jewish people who every year celebrate the Passover that understands the lamb who uh, by his blood was pep, you know applied to the doorpost and the angel of death had to pass over them and this prophet stands up and he says behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and their little Jewish brains had to freeze they had to freeze. they short-circuiting. Lamb of God, Lamb of God, they knew what he was talking about. Verse 34, uh, 6, he says something again along that line. He says, in looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. That's the only two times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where the word lamb actually appears. When John the Baptist, and Jesus said about John the Baptist, if you want to know who the greatest prophet is, John the Baptist is the greatest prophet who ever lived. Greater than Moses, greater than Abraham, greater than Elijah, greater than Samuel, greater than Jeremiah, greater than Isaiah, greater than you know, Nehemiah, or Ezra, or Hosea, or any of the other prophets. John the Baptist is the greatest prophet that ever lived. And get this, Jesus finished the statement with this, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Lots of times we undersell our salvation. Lots of times we, under, we devalue ourselves and, and don't really appreciate what happened when we got born again, that the Holy Ghost indwells us that were covered and were washed clean and were presented before God in righteousness and in true holiness, praise God. What an amazing thing. But you have to remember that when he was standing there, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And it says in the book of Revelation, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. And they're trying to comprehend what he just said. These Jewish people are blown away that he called this guy the Lamb of God. It's amazing. And they're trying to understand. And I'm going to guarantee you, the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Levites, they didn't like it at all. They didn't like it at all. And all of a sudden, all that starts getting turned up. Now, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, because this lamb thing starts running through the Bible. Paul talks about it in Corinthians, Uh, Peter talks about it here in 1 Peter chapter 1. It's mentioned several times throughout the epistles, praise God. Amen. And in the book of Revelations, like I told you, is 28 times Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. I mean, leaves no if, no ands, no doubts about who he's talking about. Chapter 1, verse 18, "'Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold.'" from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, praise God. I mean to tell you, it's so amazing when you think about for thousands of years... From Genesis all the way through the Bible, this lamb is presented, and it's a prophetic proclamation of what God had planned. The Passover in Exodus chapter 12, every time they celebrated the Passover, they were looking back. They were remembering what God had done. They were remembering how they were delivered. They were instructed in detail how to eat it. They had to eat the Passover meal in Exodus chapter 12, standing up. They had to have girdled up, ready to go, and they had to have their staff in hand as they partook of that lamb. They couldn't break any of its bones, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. There were so many details that there was no way you would misunderstand or not see what prophetically was being foretold when Jesus arrived? If you're paying attention, you're not blinded by religion and tradition or self preservation. This is one of the things I like to say once in a while to pastors when I'm preaching and teaching to them, and I say it to myself as well. My survival is not required, your survival is not required. Many times we're so concerned about our own survival or the survival of what our pet doctrine is or the survival of our little group that if we're not careful, we lose it. You ever hear that statement Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you lose your life, but if you lose your life, you save your life? And I tell you, folks, you got to just give it up. You just got to give it up and lay it down and trust God with your future. You know, that's how you kill the spirit of fear. I love 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that, you know, that love casts out fear. Now, for us faith people, I just want to make a point. Faith doesn't drive fear out. Faith is the counterpart and always stands in opposition to fear. You know, mercy doesn't drive fear out. Giving money doesn't drive fear out. Actually, I've seen people give offerings in, in fear. Don't give offerings in fear. Give offerings out of love. That's our motive, praise God. And it even says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8, there's seven things that talks about what love is. There's eight things that talks about what love isn't. But love, you can give, and if you don't do it in love, then you didn't give it for the right reason. Everything we do has to pass through the love test. But in 1 John 4, verse 18, this is what you need to understand. Love drives out fear, praise God. And you and I need to be submerged in the love of God. We need to be blessed to where we comprehend and understand what we're talking about when we're talking about the love walk. That it's not a love walk that's self-serving. It's a love walk of where we lay our lives down like Jesus did. No greater love has a man than when he lays his life down for a friend, praise the Lord. We give up some of ourselves so that others can live, praise God. And we see this all the way through the Bible. In First Peter chapter 1 here, we're seeing very clearly that it's the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, turn with me back to the Gospel of John. And we'll go to John chapter 19. Just for a a reference point, and I'll probably bounce around two or three other places in John because it's so powerful. I mean, John had a unique relationship with Jesus. We know that. John actually believed that not only that that Jesus liked him, but that Jesus loved him. He said a number of times, I'm the disciple that, that Jesus loved. And all of us need to have that revelation, praise God. You need to know that Jesus loves you. He doesn't just like you. He's just not for you, but Jesus loves you. And John, as we'll see in a little bit, he notices some things at the crucifixion that none of the other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't write about them. And the reason they don't write about them, they weren't there. John was the only one that was there. John was the only disciple who was still at the cross, and that's why Jesus said, John, behold your mother, and mother, behold your son, and gave John the responsibility to take care of his mom, Mary, because John was the only guy who was still there. So that he's got some things that he notices about the crucifixion the other guys don't ever mention, because he was the only one that saw it. I just think that's awesome, praise the Lord. Maybe you can tell by my inflection. <laughs> it just gets exciting when you think about it, praise God. John chapter 19, verse 14 says this. Uh, let's see. He says, Now it was in the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Now, the reason he's doing this is because, you know, Jesus has been arrested. He's had several trials, uh, a total of seven of them, where he's been dragged back and forth and in front of the, uh, Pontius Pilate twice, in front of another guy twice, and in front of the Pharisees and Sadducees twice. And, and then, you know, we, we see seven different times he's standing in front of people. And, and then he's right here before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate's trying to get out of this thing. He's been warned by his wife, don't do anything to this guy, I had a dream, let him go. He's a good man, he's an innocent man, he hasn't done anything wrong. Pilate examines him, just like those lambs are examined, finds no fault, no blemish, nothing wrong with him, nothing worthy of death, wants to let him go. The Passover was so revered by the Jews, it was actually honored by the Romans, and they established something for them that they could include into the Passover celebration. The Romans did, and that was, we'll let a prisoner go on the day of Passover. They honored the Passover to the point the Romans did. It was so revered by the Israelites, they said, we want to do something to be included. What can we do? And it became a tradition that every year they would release a prisoner that was sentenced to death. So Pilate thought, this is a knockout. I can do this. I can win this. I can get this guy off the hook. All I have to do is bring in the baddest dude in town the worst criminal, a known murderer, a known liar. All I have to do is bring old Barabbas in. He's in jail too, so bring up Barabbas, bring up Jesus. I'll give them the choice. (laughs) That's an easy pick. That's an easy pick. This guy, everybody knows he's a bad guy. This guy here hasn't done anything wrong but bless people and heal people and deliver people. All he's done is taught people how to love each other. This is an easy win, this is an easy fix. But the crowd began to cry out, no, if you do that, he said he was the king of the Jews, and any king stands in opposition to Caesar, and if you let this guy go, you're no friend of Caesar's. All of a sudden, Pilate got pushed right back in the corner, and he said, take him. And uh, we know the end of that story. Jesus Christ was crucified, and over top of the cross, the king of the Jews. Why? That was the charge he was guilty of. He wasn't guilty of anything else. He was the king of the Jews. And then, praise God, we know that uh, they put him in the tomb and he was raised from the dead. But it was about the sixth hour in chapter 19, verse 14 here. That's the same hour that they start sacrificing the lambs in the temple. It's the very same precise moment. You know, as you read the Passover that's occurring... While Jesus has been on trial and everything that happened, it's astounding at the timing and how it all occurred, praise God. And then, you know, part of the Passover meal was they had four cups. And I just want to talk a little bit about that because we're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper here and, and receive communion. And uh, I want to talk about these four cups for just a little, a little bit because Passover is a remembrance service. It's a remembrance service to the nation of Israel. They remember what God did for them when He brought them out of Egypt and how they prepared standing up. Their loins were girded, they had their staff in hand. They, they ate the lamb standing, ready to leave. But now, in the days of Jesus, they don't eat it standing. They eat it laying down on a couch, and the difference was they were leaving Egypt, getting on their way to the promised land. In the days of Jesus, they were in their promised land, so they didn't eat it any longer prepared to leave. They ate it now relaxed on the couch or in a position of, you know, just being at peace and comfort. And then they shared the meal together. And but at the same time, not only was it a testimony and a remembrance meal about what God had done, for you and I is a prophetic proclamation about what God was about to do, praise the Lord. And so, one of the things that John talks about in his gospel that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't mention is that they didn't break Jesus' bones. You know, they broke the thieves' legs so that they could go ahead and die because they had to die before the sun set on Passover. And they were getting ready to break Jesus' legs, but instead they put the spear up between his ribs. They didn't break his bones because that was important because Exodus chapter 12, verse 22 says, don't break any of the bones of that lamb of the Passover meal. See, you and I, we have a difficult time to appreciate everything that God has done For centuries to bring about our salvation our deliverance and it wasn't an accident how Jesus was crucified when Jesus was crucified and every detail that occurred including when he said it is finished he was quoting the psalm he was quoting the psalm and he wasn't talking about the sacrifice once and for all you know even though that was a reality we can put that in there he was talking about the old covenants done Everything that God had planned and prepared up to that point had now just finished. The old covenant was over with. And you see, I think we lose something or we lost something when we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it really should be in Hebrew, the word is old covenant and new covenant. They changed it with the Greek And they put Old Testament and New Testament. I think we lose something in that transition of changing from covenant to testament because covenant is such a strong word. It's such a strong word. It came with blessings. When you made a covenant with somebody, both parties had to enter into it willingly. And there was a process of doing that And then also, not only did it have blessings, but it had curses if you, (coughs) excuse me, violated that covenant. And Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14 gives us all the blessings. Verses 15 to the rest of that chapter gives us all the curses. And there's about 60 different curses. That are there and you and I need to realize praise God we live and we walk in the blessings when we keep the covenant praise God and that's what we're going to do this morning we're going to receive communion that's part of keeping our covenant praise God the first cup that was always there and you got to remember this is there was no deviating the Passover meal there was an exact procedure on how everything had to be done the children started out asking, what are these elements for? What is the lamb for? What is the herbs for? What, why are we doing this? And whoever the elder in the group was began to tell them the story of the Exodus and rehearsed to them. And it wasn't just something that they're talking about happened back there with their past generations. It wasn't just their heritage. They believed by faith that they too were delivered when the, the israelites came out of egypt they received by faith their own deliverance they received by faith the blood being applied to their lives. they received by faith crossing the red sea they received by faith being in their promised land by faith they bought into the very same thing they were sitting there talking about that's what they were doing and reliving and talking about the bitter herbs and everything that was going on And the first cup was a very solemn thing. It was talking about the blessing and you had the bitter herbs. You took the bitter herbs and you drank the first cup of wine. Then there was a second cup and they'd sing a psalm. And they'd all sing together, and they'd break, uh, you know, uh, and they would drink the second cup. And then the third cup was the main meal. That's when they ate the lamb. And they, at the end of eating the lamb, they'd drink the third cup of wine. And then they'd sing a song, uh, Psalms 1, verse 14, to Psalms 118. That's a lot of singing. But, man, it was like the high hallelujah song. It was the ultimate song of praise, of magnifying, exalting God. And it was something that was done out of uh, You know, we got our deliverance. We got our liberty. We got our freedom. We're were passed over. We're alive and not dead, praise God. I mean, it's powerful what God was doing then and now. But then there's this cup that got passed over, the fourth cup. The the Bible tells us Jesus didn't partake of that cup. He says in Luke chapter 22, verse 18, I'll I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God comes. And he got up and he walked out. He only drank three cups. He left the fourth cup on the table. And and you don't do that as an Israelite. You don't do that as a priest. You don't do that as the elder. You don't do that as somebody who's trying to bring people through and help them understand the elements and why they're partaking of the Passover. You don't leave something out as important as the fourth cup. But Jesus did that night. And then a little later in uh, John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. You know, we got the situation here, and, and you can turn there real quick. We're in 19 anyway. You might as well go over here to verses uh, 38. I'm sorry, 28. 28. It says, And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. He's quoting Psalms 22, verse 15. He said, I thirst. Now, know, if you live, examine the life of Jesus, that Scripture might be fulfilled and just studied that little phrase, that's an amazing study in itself. He didn't do anything that wasn't his Father's will. And nearly everything he did had already been prosifi- prophet, pro- yeah, thank you, prophesied and testified to. And so, it says here, you know, in verse 29, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. Where's Jesus? He's on the cross. He's on the cross. He said, I thirst. Why'd he say it? So scripture could be fulfilled. And it just happened, it just happened that while sitting there, there was a a vessel full of sour wine. And it was sitting there. You know, if you believe in just happening, Then, you know, you're missing out on a lot of things God is doing in your life. Sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine. Notice what they did. They put it on hyssop. Exodus chapter 12, verse 22 They took a bunch of hyssop. They put it down in the blood. They applied it to the doorpost. They applied it to the lintel, And here Jesus, the Lamb of God, is on the cross saying, I thirst. And he didn't partake of the fourth cup, but the fourth cup is present at the cross. And we're about to fulfill the last drink of the last cup when he says, I thirst, fulfilling the scripture. And he says, it is finished. And then he dies after he does this and he does it with a sponge that's on a hyssop branch, praise God, which is fulfilling again and a picture again of the last, you know, the Passover and the last supper and us being healed and being delivered and God delivering us from all the oppression of the enemy, praise God. Over and over we see it. And it's so exciting when you think about all that being done ahead of time and prepared ahead of time, and Jesus just walking it out. And this fourth cup was called the cup of consummation. In other words, when you drink that fourth cup, we finished everything now. So Jesus, after he partook of that fourth cup, and he drank of that cup of sour wine there, because he said, I'm fulfilling Scripture I'm consummating the Old Testament. I'm consummating the Old Covenant. I'm I'm fulfilling every promise my Father had given the nation of Israel and the world. And I'm shedding my own blood for the salvation of this world. He said, I'm consummating. It's finished. It's finished. The work of redemption is finished. The Old Covenant is finished. A new covenant is entered into. And you and I have eternity, praise God, to enjoy it. Luke 22, verse 18. This is how strongly. Remember, I'm going to just point this out, and then we'll be closing here with a couple of thoughts and per- receiving communion this morning. Jesus left the upper room. He didn't partake of the fourth cup. He gets in the garden, and uh, he's prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's asked three times, Lord, take this cup from me. It's that fourth cup he's talking. Lord, take this cup from me. Lord, take this cup from me. And then afterwards, they come to a resting, And Peter pulls his sword out and cuts off the servant's ear. Jesus put, says, put your sword back in your sheath. And says, should I not drink the cup my Father has set before me? Well, he left it in the Passover. He left it in the upper room. When's he going to drink this cup? He didn't drink it during the beatings. He didn't drink it during the scourging. He didn't drink it during the trials. But when he was hanging on that cross, and they took that sponge, and they dipped it down in that cup of wine, sour wine that happened to be there, and they gave him that drink because Jesus said, I won't drink this again, the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God has come. The old covenant was closed out. The new covenant came in. The kingdom of God is here. And you and I get the privilege of living in it, walking in proclaiming it, and telling people this is our day. We don't care about the coronavirus in the name of Jesus. This is our day. And Easter, praise God, is our day to celebrate. And Easter is our day to remember what Jesus Christ did for you and I. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll prepare to receive our communion here this morning. First Corinthians chapter 11, and you get your elements there, and what's that? Yeah, we got elements back there on the back table. If you guys want to run back there and get them, we'll just take a moment and do that. We'll let you run around the kitchen, and do whatever you need to do there to get your elements, and uh, so let's serve those elements. and you come down here and get some uh, elements as well. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. You know, I don't know for sure, again, what the first century church really looked like. There's no will, and if you got one of these... Uh, communion cups its all set up and prepared with the little uh, unleavened loaf, you might want to shake that thing up. Those things settle, get some settlement in there, and sometimes the best stuff's down at the bottom, so you got to shake it up a little bit, but you know, we uh, have an opportunity to think about sometimes what it looked like as uh, the church got born, and uh, one of the things that they were known for is their great love for Jesus. And then the reality of loving and trying to express that to other people. I think if we're not careful, we can make our faith and our religion and the things that we believe, our doctrine, our creed, and our uh, all the things that we have, if we're not careful, we can make it all about us. And Christianity wasn't designed that way. Real Christianity was something that... Yes, we receive the forgiveness of our sins, but real Christianity is designed to love other people. (coughs) And by loving them, we bring them into the kingdom of God. And lots of times we miss the whole part because if we're not careful, we get all concerned about doing everything right. If we're not doing it right, we have to be doing it wrong. Is God mad at it? Listen, would you remember that God loves you? No matter what's going on in your life, would you remember that God loves you? And if you're, if you're home just and you're here as well, just look at each other and say, don't forget, God loves you. Look at each other and say, don't forget, God loves you. Hey, Carlos, God loves you. And we just need to remember, God loves us. And this is what we're celebrating right here. It says in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that night which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he is betrayed, Took bread. Now, I just want to talk about that. The Holy Ghost just said something about when he was betrayed. John chapter 13, he washed everybody's feet, including Judas's feet. The same man that he knew that was going to betray him. The same man that he knew that was going to turn him over. The same man that had been stealing from the offering. The same man that had been stealing and lying and operating deception. Jesus knew all about it. And the same guy, he treated him just like everybody else. And he washed his feet as well. So I just felt impressed to say that. Maybe that would help you forgive somebody. Maybe that will help you forgive yourself. Maybe that will help you understand that when you've been ill-treated, you can't walk around in unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred and strife and division. No matter what somebody has done to you or what you think they did, it doesn't make any difference. Jesus said, You have to forgive the same way you've been forgiven. Uh, It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the apostle Paul writing the church at Ephesus. Here's our standard for forgiving. The same way you've been forgiven, total and completely. God forgets it, you need to forget it. We're talking about communion here. We're talking about standing before God. We're talking about, you know, receiving his body and receiving his blood by faith. We're talking about the things that offended people in John the 6th chapter. When they heard him talk about, you know, if you don't eat my body and you don't drink my blood, you're not worthy. And you don't have my life in you. Just think about that. It's time that you let it go. And you let it go so well that it never comes up again. You never bring it up again. Verse 23, again, For I have received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he is betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, Passover was a remembrance service, and communion is a remembrance service. Lord, we take a few moments here just to remember our redemption. We remember, Lord, that your body was broken for our health, for our wholeness, for our healing, for our complete deliverance in every capacity, in every way. That you love us just the way you found us, but you loved us too much or leave us that way. Like one of the songs that we sing, you know... You didn't want heaven without us, so you left heaven to come here so we had a right to go to heaven. Verse uh, 24 says that he did this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks of this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or die prematurely, another translation says. Father, we stand before you. We stand in the throne room of grace. And God, we do examine ourselves, and we do understand that we sin and we fail, and sometimes we've done it miserably. Other times we've done it magistrate. I mean, just we, nobody else knows. It's just us, and we do it so well, even though we, we're sinning or failing or making mistakes that people don't even notice. Sometimes they even applaud the way we have attitudes and, and we think about different things and when the way we perform and do things, but they're self-gratifying and they're self-motivated and they're dark on the inside of us, the reasons why. And we ask you, Lord God, to forgive us. We ask you, Lord God, to cleanse us. And we thank you, Lord, for not only delivering us from our sins, but delivering us from the Spirit, the power, and breaking the power of sin. Of our life in Jesus Christ's name. Father, we praise you and we thank you for the day, for the day's service. We thank you that we can celebrate the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that we're looking forward now to the return, to your return. And we live with that thought in mind. We live with the fact that we want to go with Jesus when he returns, and we want to walk worthy of that calling in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. God bless you. Have a great day. Don't forget we got service coming up. We got other things happening. We love you, and uh, we miss you, and we'll see you soon.